You're listening to Travel Bubble with me, Matty Dias. The world's locked down and travelling isn't really an option. So I thought, why not do the next best thing and talk about it? From living all over the world to working as a tour guide, I've seen some amazing places and met some great people. Each week, I'll speak to globetrotters and industry professionals about their travel bubble choices to provide you with post-lockdown inspiration and top travel tips. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Travel Bubble podcast with me, Matty Dias. Welcome back to old listeners far and wide and a big hello to any new listeners that might have had the misfortune of joining us today. I just joke, you are in for a treat. A bit of an update before I get started. I'm back in Cornwall after spending a prolonged period of time up north over Christmas and New Year. Uh, but I'm back down in Cornwall and it's good to be back. Good Back in the old cottage, getting the fire going, it's all good. Before I get into this week's episode, I'll uh, remind you that Travel Bubble is free. And if you wanted to, to support the podcast, you can just go back and listen to any old episodes. Choose a title, choose a picture, choose a person's name that you like. Go back and listen. They don't go out of date. You can listen to them anytime and get travel inspiration for the future by listening to those episodes. You can also support us by liking us on Facebook, subscribing, giving us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. Every little helps. So I'll be back at the end for the Travel Bubble Film Club and a bit more chit-chat, but I'll get into it. Episode 38, Know Why You Travel with Ellen Waite. Now, I connected with Ellen through uh, Jeannie Hill. Remember Jeannie from episode 23? Go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Um, Basically, Jeannie had been on one of um, Ellen's tours. So, yeah, in fact, Ellen is a tour leader and she used to work for Dragoman. And they're like the overlanding expert. This company started back in 1981. They have these huge big trucks and they drive them all over the world and you have some serious adventures. And Ellen was one of the uh, guides, drivers, tour leaders, and she did it for six years, so she's been all over. She's driven through 40-odd countries, five continents. She's been there and done that, so it's a really great episode. And she's also, aside from that, she's just a really interesting character as well. And this is a great episode. She's, she's got some really great practical tips, some insider knowledges of places that haven't come up before. It's a really, really good episode and I'm keen for you to listen and um, I hope you hope you really enjoy it and hope you enjoy it as much as I do. We recorded this remotely on Christmas Eve, so I'm sure we've got like a bit of a festive, festive feel to the episode. We're all in a good mood getting ready for Christmas. Like I say, I'll be back at the end for some more chit-chat, but for now... It's episode 38 of Travel Bubble, Know Why You Travel, with Ellen Waite. Hello Ellen, welcome to Travel Bubble. Welcome, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. For our listeners, where in the world do we find you today? Uh, You find me outside of Bend, Oregon, Pacific Northwest of America. Okay, are you from around there or...? Uh, no. Moved here about five years ago after uh, my husband and I finally stopped doing crazy, mad, all the time travel. Okay. Uh, Why Bend, Oregon? Uh, so my husband and I were tour leaders and we had been all over the world and we had lots of options and we considered a ton of places when we thought about where we wanted to settle down. Um, but basically we wanted some place that had a lot of opportunities to go hiking and camping, the things that we're really passionate about. And my family lives a couple hours away. So this was a good fit. Oh, perfect. So, uh, we mentioned, you, you mentioned in passing there, Ellen, but what would make you a good guest for the travel bubble and a, a travel podcast? 
Yeah, so um, I spent uh, close to six years as a tour leader for Dragoman, so taking people on overlanding expeditions, um, Africa, Southeast Asia, South Asia, Silk Road, and South America. I've also spent time as a scuba dive instructor. Um, I was a snorkeling instructor in Alaska. Um, done a lot of interesting things with travel. And uh, currently I am building a travel arm of an overland expedition vehicle company that I'm working for. So more travel in my future. Class, so you're well, very well placed to be on a travel podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how did you fall into um, toll, toll eating then? So it was like 2009 and I was the director of marketing for a commercial real estate company. So I had like a proper adult job and the um, real estate market was starting to get pretty grim. So I did what, you know, any normal person does. And I took a vacation to Kyrgyzstan <laughs> and it was brilliant. Um, absolutely loved it, loved the country. Um, but most of all, I really liked the tour leaders uh, I had on that trip. And um, they kind of made a joke at one point, oh, you should do this, you know, for a living. And I laughed it off. I'm like, no, I've got a you know, proper desk job waiting yeah, for me back home. A real job. Right. Then I got back home and my real job told me, um, sorry, we're letting all of your staff go and we're moving you to half time and half pay. We don't know how long this is going to go on for until the real estate market returns. And so I quit and I got my truck license. I flew to England for a week long interview. They accepted me. I went home and leased my flat um, actually to the guitar tech for Snow Patrol, which is kind of interesting. Nice okay. guy. Uh, put everything in storage and got on a one way flight to England and started my training uh, with the intention of working for Dragoman for a contract, which was about 18 months. Oh, class. Um, yeah. 18 months did not turn into 18 months. Uh, the short version of the story is that the um, when you're first out on the road, you're put with the more experienced tour leader, yeah. um, you're their trainee. And my second experienced tour leader I got put with is this guy named Matt. And uh, spoiler alert, he's now my husband. Oh, so wow. <laughs> one uh, contract turned into many. And Class. so we ended up doing that for quite a while. So uh, how long did you end up working for uh, Dragoman then? Uh, about five and a half years. And then afterwards, um, in between contracts, Matt and I got married in the States. And then we were kind of waiting for his green card to go through. So we had to kind of kill some time where he couldn't come into the States. And so after that, um, I took a job uh, in Zanzibar uh, as a dive master and then cool. continued my dive training in Thailand as a dive instructor. And again, we're kind of killing time until his green card Oh, class. Not a bad so, way to kill time. No, exactly. <laughs> um, so where's Matt from? He's from England. Um, he is originally from Brighton. And then I met him in, uh, in Africa. He had lived in Africa for, oh gosh, almost two decades and was a tour leader with Dragoman and a couple other countries for over a decade. Class. So how did you uh, choose Dragoman? What, what stood out for, uh, about Dragoman for you, like, as your first? Yeah. Year? So, um, you know, I made the decision to work for them uh, after I was a one of their clients, one of their passengers. Okay. But that was my second trip with them. Um, I had gone to uh, East Africa with them before. And the way I heard about them is kind of funny. I was on um, my first real big adventure was to the Amazon in Peru. I had this fantastic trip and there was this uh, woman who was there and she was telling me about all of her travels and she mentioned she had been on this trip with Dragoman and the tour leader for that group rolled his eyes and said oh Dragoman those international party buses and I kind of looked at her I'm like so tell me about these international <laughs> <Yeah>. party buses <laughs> um, and so she's the one who told me about it because to be honest a lot of Americans hadn't heard of that company and hadn't heard of that kind of traveling at that point you know it's still the whole international overlanding thing is still kind of new for Americans, yeah. I think. Well, the um, the founder of Dragoman is meant to be coming on Travel Bubble. So if, you, if you're listening, Charlie, oh. uh, get, get something booked in. <laughs> Fantastic. I love I love Charlie and I talk with him regularly. Yeah, still. well, tell, tell him to get something guy. booked in. But he, he has agreed to come on, but it's just, it's pinning <laughs> down the time. But um, Okay, I'll, I'll give him a poke. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But uh, speaking of like Dragoman and, uh, you know, Charlie, uh, we... Uh, one of our mutual friends or mutual 
uh, clients from the past. Uh, Jeannie actually put us in touch, didn't she? So yes. was, was Jeannie on one of your tours? Absolutely. And she's amazing. Um, she was with us for a really big chunk of the Silk Road. So um, with her, she was, I can't remember which direction. I think she met us in China and Beijing. So we did China, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan. Um, and I can't, I think she might have left at that point. Um, but yeah, she, she's fantastic. Yeah, what but a- she, and she, she was the first person to tell me about Dragon Man because I was a tour leader, but I didn't know like about Dragon Man. And then, but then she said, Oh, I, there's this company and she said, You should apply for that job. Obviously, post pandemic, it, it just wasn't a thing. Um, and yeah. I think it's on uh, the company's in hiatus at the minute, like, uh, unfortunately, yes. but, that's but the they'll be back. They've, yeah. they've survived, you know, for so long. I'm sure they'll be back as soon as it's feasible. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Ellen, this is like, um, a tall leader talking to a tall leader. I've got a girlfriend, <laughs> but she, she'd be listening to this. So I won't say too many nice things about her, but what was it like? having a relationship on the road like like being with matt your two tall leaders what was that what was that like just like this, yeah. is, this is me asking <laughs> <laughs> it, it was great and it was hard you know yeah. we we kind of realized we liked each other pretty early on with working together and first of all he was i was his trainee so that's a little bit of a scandal there <laughs> and then we liked each other and it's like well what do we do with this because you know there's there's no dating you know we're we're working together already we're living together in a tent um i always joke and call it relationship dog years you know it really <laughs> tests you in every way and initially we worked together for a few months and then they had us working with different people and during that time we were like gosh do we tell dragoman that we like each other and we want to work together and i don't know what happened maybe somebody told dragoman but they dragoman just assigned us to work together they were like oh okay well it's meant to be okay so um, there was always the two of you because you have like a driver and a tall leader and like you alternate is that, yes. is that correct y- yes correct so we were pretty much together, but there was definitely times where, oh, there was a truck that broke down in Ethiopia. So I got sent to help pick up that truck and Matt got sent to Uganda to run some guerrilla tours. And so we were separated sometimes and then brought back together. So I, I get asked this a lot, but I'm going to ask you, Ellen, what, um, how, how can you be a tall leader in a country that you're not from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and and the key word there is leader. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, we were supposed to be facilitators. We we're supposed to be handling the day to day operations. Our main job was to, you know, drive the truck, keep the truck running, make sure everyone got from point A to point B safely, got to the borders, made sure that they were able to, you know, set up their tents and cook and keep them from killing each other and killing themselves. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm a total nerd, and so I did a ton of reading um, because I was just interested in the places that we were going. Yeah. I am a complete wildlife nut, so I was like buying bird books whenever I could. So I knew something about the local wildlife. I was buying history books. Um, I certainly didn't know everything, um, and that's where we hired like local guides. You know, we yeah. we'd get to the Taj Mahal, and we'd have a fantastic local guide who could tell them way more than I could. <laughs> that's cool. Um- yeah, but I, people ask me that all the time. I was like, hey, I'm not, a, yeah. I'm not a tall guy. I'm a tall leader. <laughs> Absolutely, um, and and that's the challenge of that job. Is sometimes people would have different expectations, <laughs> yeah. so you had to make that clear from the beginning. You're like, I, uh, I, I'm, don't. An, I, I'm actually an international <laughs> expectation manager. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> um, did you? Again, I wouldn't ask you all the questions I get, but. Um, what did your family and friends say when you like you you left your real job inverted commas real job? Yeah, um, I am super lucky that my family was supportive. I think they just they know me, and I've always been the kind of person to just kind of make crazy decisions like that. And so everyone was really supportive, even if they thought I was a bit mad. Um, I was lucky too, and that it was a, a point in my life that you know I wasn't in a relationship, I didn't have kids, and so it was fairly easy to do it okay and um how is so you obviously you've you've settled down now to to a degree um how's that like going back to that kind of settled life after being such a like a nomad for so many years how's that yeah um it can be hard sometimes sometimes you've had all these experiences that 
it's hard to relate to other people. And then if you bring them up, you're like, oh gosh, I sound like I'm bragging. You don't yeah. want to be that guy. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to be like, oh yeah, I saw something like that in the Congo. And you're like, oh, I've just been that really annoying person at the party. So sometimes I do try to check myself a bit. Um, Matt and I still you know, travel whenever we can for fun. Um, our project since we moved here to the Bend, Oregon areas, we bought 20 acres um, that's off grid so the first thing we did is we put a yurt on it and we lived for about four years in a grid um this we've got solar power and we've got a garden and chickens and all sorts of fun things like that and then during the pandemic we built ourselves a house so we've got like a regular really beautiful house that him and i built with our own two hands over the last year so we've kept ourselves busy <laughs> that's my like most people didn't leave the house you actually built right. the house uh, <laughs> Is it, you mentioned this pre-record, but is it like a, a proper big house or is it a tiny house or what's it like? Yeah, the house is about a thousand square feet and it's like really modern. Um, we built it with um, a construction method that's super, super well insulated. Um, that actually uses these kind of polystyrene blocks. Oh, I've um, seen that on Grand Designs actually, yeah. Okay. That's exactly <laughs> what we watched a ton of Grand Designs and we were like, okay, we need something that's fairly easy to build and that's going to be, that's going to work for off-grid. So yeah, we big fans of Grand Designs. Class, and then you put like this is like a technical question. And then you pour the concrete into the uh, into the con uh, the polystyrene blocks as well. Uh, no, this one is the only concrete is the foundation, oh, okay. and then it's it, then it's wood, and we've got. Um, but we do have like concrete board as our siding, so again, okay. it's nice and well insulated. And fire is unfortunately a, a constant risk out here in the Pacific Northwest, so we chose that because it's fire resistant and metal okay. roof. And, yeah. Oh man. Um, going back to the travel and tour tourism, Ellen, uh, what was your like travel experience like pre Kyrgyzstan, pre Dragoman? What what was like growing up experiences, your childhood holidays and things? Yeah, um, I grew up in Fairbanks, Alaska, so um, okay. it's pretty expensive to travel from there. But I was lucky in that both my parents were in education, and so they had summers free. So we, I just grew up doing a ton of camping. Like literally, as soon as school was out, we like hit the road and we would spend weeks at a time camping in kind of these wild places in Alaska. Um, so that was really my my travel experience growing up. Oh, that sounds amazing. So like you you, yeah. you spent the summers in Alaska. That's like people's dream, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I still have a big soft spot for Alaska and the wilds up there. So, you know, I grew up and I was like, oh, yeah, there's a bear in my backyard. Okay, maybe a moose. <laughs> That's class. Well, so how did you end up in Bend? What what, what was the choice there? Like, um, Just looking for some place that had access to the outdoors. Um, Bend has a mountain range on one side and the high desert on another. So you've kind of got the best of both worlds. Um, there's really like world-class hiking here and fishing and mountain biking and all that stuff. So just being able to get outside was a, was a priority and it has an international airport. So sure. <laughs> that was a, the priority. And you say currently you're working for like, um, is it, it's a company that builds overland trucks. So again, for people who aren't familiar with overland trucks, it's like these big vehicles that you, you can do, you can go anywhere, do anything in basically. Absolutely. So there's a company in Bend called Earth Cruiser, and they make these really incredible overlanding vehicles. Basically, they're taking commercial truck um, chassis and engines and putting an incredible box in the back that have a full kitchen and a bathroom. Um, they're beautiful vehicles, and they're really made to go anywhere. Um, the founder is from Australia, and him and his wife love to travel. And they started the company because they basically couldn't find a vehicle to buy that met all those needs so they built their own and now um we've built a you know over a hundred of those vehicles oh class well I, when i was in australia it seemed to be much more of a thing there like this like i suppose because probably because australia is so big and it's so vast and it's wild in places you'd have these vehicles that could go through the desert and they could survive basically and you don't really need to leave australia and i, I suppose america's probably a big market for that as well. Like we're an island nation in England. We There's only so much driving you can do unless you go to the continent. But I suppose America, you could get one of these vehicles and just go all over the States, couldn't you? Like, and just live off off grid. Uh 
Absolutely. And Americans are just are really new to the whole overlanding thing and it's blowing up here. You know, Americans have always loved the great American road trip, but they're finally starting to discover, oh, wait, I don't have to stick to the main roads and I, I want to do some camping and I can be off grid in the middle of nowhere. Um, so the real exciting news for this company is that they've always wanted to also offer um, kind of guided trips for owners of their vehicles. And I'm going to be developing that program in the next year. So uh, yeah, trips in, in America, but also putting them on shipping containers, um, hoping to get us over to Namibia and Morocco and to South America soon as well. Nice. So. That's amazing. If you need a guide in the, uh, let me know. If you, if you need anyone. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Uh, so Ellen, you've certainly been around. Um, so I, I want to. I'm keen to get into your like travel bubble destinations. Uh, you're familiar with the format. You're only allowed to visit three countries for the rest of your life, not including your birth country, which for you would be the the states. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's start, Ellen. What would be your travel bubble destination number one? Yes. So this was hard. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with number one. I'm going to go with Zimbabwe. Um, okay. A little bit. Yeah. Um, a little bit selfish in that my, my stepdaughter lives there. Um, Matt has a daughter from his previous marriage there. So it would be great that I get to see her, but also because I absolutely love that country. Okay. So like you've got your mixing like business with pleasure there. You, you've got, <laughs> you've got family connections, but also it's a good country. Yep. And what, what makes like uh, Zimbabwe stand out for you? Um, you know, I mentioned before, I'm a wildlife nerd and the wildlife is incredible there. Um, probably my most favorite park in Africa is Mana Pools there. And it is, I've called it the most wild place on earth. Um, you know, all national parks in Africa are great, but Mana Pools, it's so isolated. You either have to fly in or take a long drive on gravel roads or canoe in on the lower Zambezi. And then once you're there, um, there's a few lodges, but most people just camp. There's no fences and there's very limited rules. You're free to be a complete idiot if you want to be. Okay. Um, you're allowed to walk there like without a guide. I don't recommend that. I think yeah. it's bonkers that they allow that. But if you're driving and you see something and you want to go have a look, you're absolutely free to go do that and free to get eaten if you want. Yeah. Is, and, and do people die? Like Occasionally, yeah. There was a guy who got eaten while taking a shower a few years back by a pride of lions. So yeah, people That's not do funny, make... Is it? Is that, uh... No, but yeah, people do make bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> we saw some crazy things that happened. I mean, we pulled in and within like five minutes, we heard some shouting and we're like, we see a girl running around the shower block and then we see, oh, she's being chased by a buffalo around the oh shower block. Um, we had, uh, you know, we were at night cooking our meal over a campfire and we heard a rustle of leaves and I turned my flashlight to see what's what it is and oh it's a hyena that's about to steal the pork chop off Class. the fire <laughs> so I don't want to in case you've got any more African countries in your list I won't be um, making any spoilers but for listeners I, I'm for my, myself personally would you say that is the best national park to go to in Africa if you're going to go to one one would that be the, the one that you'd suggest I, it would be if you've gone to other parks first. It's okay. not a park for beginners because you could get eaten. You know, right. there's like a rule when you go in that you can't have any citrus fruit in your vehicle because the elephants have been known to rummage through everything to get to any oranges you might have. Okay. So I would highly recommend it if you've been to a couple parks, you know some basic safety protocols around animals and camping, and you know how to find animals. Um, you know, there's a reason you usually go out with a guide because they know where to look for the lions. They know where they slept the night before. They know behavior. So if you're just by yourself, it can be kind of hard work. But if you've done a few and you're you're confident in your abilities, yeah, it's amazing. Okay, cool. So what would be your must-do activity in Zimbabwe, the thing that you'd recommend? Um, go see Victoria Falls. I mean, I know it's touristy, but it's touristy for a reason. That place is absolutely amazingly beautiful. And just to walk and get sprayed by the power of the falls, um, it's really a great experience. Okay. 
Yeah, sometimes, like you said, some things are touristy because, like, because they are a must see and a must like you have to go there, and it's unavoidable. Yeah, th- this one lives up to the hype. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, what would be like, we ask it for every country? What would be like your food memory or like your must try dish or particular restaurant or something in Zimbabwe for you? Yeah, um, one of the things I love about Zimbabwe and Southern Africa in general is that you can purchase game meats, so animals that have been raised on a farm but are, you know, local to the area. Um, I do love meat, <laughs> and the best meat I've ever had in my entire life is eland. Eland is the largest antelope. They are massive. They basically look like a cow on stilts, and they are <laughs> delicious. Okay. It's hard to look at them in the wild without going, "You are tasty." <laughs> <laughs> Class. I'm like, you could just get that. Is it? It's regularly available. Like, yeah. If you go to a good butchery, you, you can get game meats. Eland is a treat, so it's not always available. But you know, game meats in general are things you can buy at most grocery stores and the bigger cities. If you're in Harare or Bilawayo. Okay, I I know. Like you say, you grew up in Alaska. Do, have you? Do you hunt, Alan, or have you ever hunted? I do not. Matt has done um, quite a bit of hunting. Um, I, I I fish, but I have not done any hunting. Okay, cool. Um, so, Ellen, country number one, Zimbabwe. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we move on? Nope, just that it's a beautiful place. Um, they could really use the tourism dollars. Um, incredible people go. <laughs> so, um, when you were working for Dragonman, how 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 much time would you spend in Zimbabwe? Like. We would go through and our typical route would be enter, go to Harare, then go into Hwangi National Park, which is also brilliant, and then go to Bilawayo and the Topos area where we do, um, do guided walking tours to go see Rhino, which was incredible. Oh, cool. Sometimes we go down to Great Zimbabwe and then out. So usually, you know, a good week in Zimbabwe. Um- um, this is like a generic question, but it's for listeners who maybe go, oh, I'd love to go to Africa, but I'm a bit scared. It's dangerous. Or not. What would you say to that? Zimbabwe, it feels incredibly safe. The people are wonderful. Um, the only problem you'll get is there's still a lot of corruption there. So you have to kind of be prepared for the hassle of dealing with police roadblocks and all of that good fun but that doesn't make you feel unsafe it's just a hassle yeah, yeah. so when you were with dragoman is do they, they they see these vehicles they know them they've been there for years do they give you a pass or is it just like oh we'll we'll shake them down today it was definitely a shakedown yeah. <laughs> they saw us as, as a cash cow and i can't blame them i mean a lot of times the police officers like hadn't been paid you know yeah, yeah. So. so i lived in thailand for a few years and the the basic wage for a policeman is like it's so low yeah you, you to, to get a living wage, you need to bribe, which is very unfortunate for everyone else, but it's just, that's, that's the nature of that society. Um, so Ellen, Zimbabwe number one, what would be your travel bubble destination number two? So number two, I'm going to go to South America and I'm going to go to Colombia. Nice. Okay. Why Colombia? Uh, Colombia, gosh, so many reasons. I mean, the people are incredibly nice. They're so welcoming to tourists because they know they have this horrible, undeserved, bad reputation. So they're excited to see anyone there. The food is outstanding. Um, best coffee in the world, and I'm a coffee lover. Uh, music and dancing and art and culture. And then, again, wildlife nerd. It is one of the most geographically diverse places I've ever been. So you've got the wild Pacific Ocean on one side and the calm Caribbean on the other. You've got, you know, tropical rainforest. You've got mountains. Colombia has more species of birds than any other country on the planet. Okay. It is just mind blowing the wildlife in Colombia. Wow, that's, I didn't know that. Um, did you work in Colombia or did you have you just been there like as a tourist? Yeah, I, I did work there on Dragoman tour, and then um, we were lucky enough that our tour ended, and we had a couple weeks turnaround, so we got to go and explore a bit on our own as well. Um, which for us it does, was it, like people listening are going to be so jealous. It sounds like the best job in the world, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes it was. <laughs> yeah, but also the, it's a rough with the smooth, isn't it? Like uh, going back, like just in general talk. When you were working for Dragoman, did you have a base? Did you have a flat or did you just live out your bag? Well, 
Yeah, you lived out of, out of your backpack the entire time and your trips were back to back to back. You know, with Dragoman, you could do a two or three week little chunk that might be starting in Quito, Ecuador and ending, uh, ending in Cartagena, Colombia. Um, or then you could add on the next trip after that and you could link them all together and go all the way around South America. Yeah. And so for us, it meant we we're working for like three months sometimes without a you know a minute to yourself yeah and then your trip would finish and you'd sometimes have a week in which mostly you were fixing your truck and cleaning your truck and finding all your receipts and paperwork and then you'd start ag again so you didn't get a whole lot of break <laughs> not a whole lot of me time <laughs> yeah like for me that is like the, the the thing that, that the the perk or the the incentive for the job as a tour leader, because like I, I started off. I was a tour leader in like Ukraine, Moldova, Bulgaria, Transnistria. Like you're you're in these like exciting places, and it's like it's like a holiday. Obviously, you're working, but it's exciting every day. Um, mm -hmm. But during the pandemic, I've come back to the UK, and now I'm the tour leader in the UK, which. I'm good at, I suppose, and I, I suppose I'm from here, which is uh, yeah. like, like the first question I used to get asked when I was in Ukraine. But it's not as exciting. Like I want, I want to be leading in exciting places. I want to be leading all over the world. Like, I, it's just not. It's not got the same draw for me as the UK. It's not. It doesn't give me that same buzz. No, there's there's nothing like coming into a place you've never been before and discovering that like fantastic little restaurant down the street or yeah. wandering into some crazy music festival that's happening. I mean, nothing beats it. Yeah. Did you ever do blind tours? Like as in like you'd yeah. go to, yeah. For people listening, yeah, that is, it, like I was going to a country, like, leading a tour in a country you've never been to yourself, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and you're just relying on the notes of the previous leaders if they've been there. Um, the most blind I ever did was going through Azerbaijan and Georgia. Um, <laughs> we were coming back on the Silk Road and we were supposed to go through Iran. And suddenly Iran wasn't letting people with right, British okay. passports in. And so they're like, surprise, instead of going Turkmenistan into Iran, you're going to have to put your truck on this ferry <laughs> and get it over to Azerbaijan and Georgia. And I had done zero research on those countries. So that was a, <laughs> a challenge. And but did the did the clients did the guests know? Like you like yeah, I had hmm. some that were really understanding and some that were like, so do you know what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. I have did I know you're like, you're not meant to do blind tours, or you, you're not when so, some poli some company policies that you don't say when you're doing a blind tour. Uh, right. For me, uh, I I would generally say um, only because it it puts less pressure on myself, like going down a street that <laughs> like to pretend. But I did one <laughs> trip blind, and I didn't tell anyone, and it, it, I got away with it, and I did really well. But like it was so much. It was it was exciting. It was stressful, but it was dramatic and dramatic. But I got away with it. But it was a bit too much stress, unnecessary stress. Okay. I think you you already kind of feel a little bit like an actor as a tour leader because you always have this persona and you put on the stress of pretending you've been someplace that you haven't before. And yeah, it's it's a full time acting job for several yeah. weeks. So that's tiring. <laughs> Class. Um, so Ellen, going back to Colombia. Yeah. Tell me a bit more. Like what. What's the best thing to do? What would be the must thing, must do thing in Colombia? Gosh, so many must do things. Um, when we did have our time off, we ended up in a little town called Taganga, which is on the Caribbean coast. And it's kind of a backpackery town um, for good reason. So really great scuba diving there and some of the cheapest scuba diving I've ever come across. I mean, I was paying like $20, $30 for a dive, which is unbelievably inexpensive. And then that's also the starting point to the Lost City Trek. So you've also okay. got the rainforest right there and a town called Minka, where I went um, to go look at birds because there's incredible birding there. Uh, absolutely love that area. I could spend a lot of time and not run out of things to do. Yeah. And you say like Colombia, they, they've got this undue... Um, oh, I there's people have expectations or it's all like narcos it's all Pablo Escobar in reality what's what's it like really is it yeah you you don't really see that but it's there if people want to talk about it so um 
Medellin is an incredible city, um, really beautiful. It's got this thriving art scene. Um, we stayed at a part of town that there was, um, it's kind of the gay section of town. So there was tons of great bars and great nightlife. Um, but, you know, if you talk to people like how do you, Tell me about Pablo Escobar. They're, they're happy to tell you, like, sometimes it would be like, oh, he did lots of great things for our neighborhood. And some people are like, oh, he was violent and ruined everything. Um, while you, we were there, you could do Pablo Escobar tours. And the end of the tour, you ended up at Pablo's brother's house, if you can believe it. <laughs> that was class. Um, and you mentioned the food a bit earlier. What what's the um, what's the thing that we should eat when we're in Colombia? You know, there's lots of great food there. Like you can't not go wrong with like street empanadas. Um, weirdly, the best thing I ate there was out of Cartagena. We were at a beach, and one of my clients saw a guy selling oysters. And I was super dubious. I'm like, oh, you're going to buy oysters on the beach <laughs> from some random guy. And he paid like a dollar for a dozen oysters. And they were the best oysters I've ever had in my life. Just slurped them out of the shell with a little bit of hot sauce. And I'm still dreaming of those oh, oysters. Wow. <laughs> so get yourself to that beach and get that oysters. <laughs> you see a guy with a bucket. <laughs> fly <him> down. <laughs> uh, class, so, uh, country number two is Colombia. Is there anything else you'd like to say about Colombia before we move on? Yeah, just don't be afraid to go. The people are incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you had Zimbabwe, we've had Colombia. What would be your travel bubble destination number three? And, and I'm surprising myself with this one, um, but I'm going to go with India. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm surprising myself because India is hard. It is exhausting. It is full on. Nothing works. You know, as a tour leader, you're constantly problem solving there. And there was so more than any other country, there was times where I would sit down at the end of the day and I'm like, what am I doing? Um, I, there was days that I was counting the days to leave India. But the second you leave, the second you're like, God, that was amazing. And I want to go back. Okay. And uh, Matt and I joke all the time about like, if you could go back and be a tour leader, where would you go? And we're like, actually, I would do India all over again. Okay. That's class. Well, India comes up a lot on the podcast. Um, and it's basically like the Marmite country. Like people either really <laughs> love it. Or it's like it's in the travel bubble destination or they really, really hate it, and it's like the 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 country that they would not go back to. It's it's so it seems to be very divisive. It's it is literally your favorite place or your least favorite place. And sometimes it could be both at the same time. You know, <laughs> you're at Varanasi and you're in a back alley and you're like literally stepping over human poo and some guy's about to like run over you with a cart and somebody's asking for money and they're literally clutching onto your arm as he walks through the street and then you come around the the corner and you see the view of the ghats and the sunrise and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen with a woman in a gorgeous sari washing her clothes you know yeah, so it could yeah. be both like back to back or simultaneously <laughs> was obviously it was challenging like logistically say nothing works was that the most challenging place for like culture shock for your guests for your clients yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, just hygiene is difficult, um, especially when you're overlanding. Um, <laughs> one of our best meals was also one of the most shocking. Um, typically with Dragoman, your lunch is you find a nice spot alongside the road and you pull out the table and you make some sandwiches. In India, if you did that, you would have like 500 people surrounding you the entire time you're eating, which right. is uh, not relaxing. So uh, in India, a lot of times we would just try to find street food along the way. And in one area, the only street food option was a truck stop. And it was us and all the truckers. And we get in and we sit down and literally I see mice running across the floor. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Yeah. And it ended up being some of the best food I've ever had in my entire life. You know, they were cooking it fresh right there in pots. You knew it just came off the stove, piping hot. No one got sick. It was incredible, <laughs> but it looked very scary at the time. <laughs> And did you get people being sick on the tours? I know, like yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, you know, more so than other countries, for sure. We, we tried really hard to constantly be telling people to wash their hands and stuff. But, you know, it happens. Yeah, <laughs> it's I'm part like, of life. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose if, as well, it's like the, it's the food, isn't it? Like you don't, unless you see it, you don't know the origin or the what. Um, it's just like you say, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, episode one of Travel Bubble. Someone mentioned they went to this restaurant and, and sat on the table. It was a monkey, and they thought he had a bone in his hand. He was eating this bone, and it was just the monkey's arm. It was eating all the flesh off oh. his, off the, off his oh. own arm. And he was zombie sat monkey. The, he sat on the table with, with the with the two lads. Um, <laughs> but like I say, like people, I, I, you either you love it or you hate it. But I like that what you said, or oh, both at the same time. That, that's a, that's a bit, <laughs> Um, what would be your must-do thing in India? Oh, gosh, so many must-do things. Um, again, wildlife nerd, um, go to a national park. Um, obviously, the, the big star of the parks are tigers, and there is nothing like seeing a tiger in the wild. But there's lots of also other incredible wildlife in, in parks in India. You know, you can go up north and you can look for snow leopards. Um, in the tiger parks are sometimes also elephant and rhino and sloth bear. It's, it's you know, mind-boggling, the, the, the wildlife that's there. And sometimes it's, you know, just outside of a city. You know, there'll yeah. be a town right next door and then you're in with tigers and leopards. Mad. Is there, is there one in particular that you'd say or just, just go and check, depends on your animal? Yeah. Um, we really like this one park called Pana. Um, it's a smaller park and it only has a few tigers and I liked it for that. The, the parks with these high densities of tigers, you have a very good chance of seeing tigers and again that's magical but it can also be a bit mad because everyone is just driving these jeeps all around looking for tigers and if they find one all the jeeps come flying from all over the park to see this poor cat and in some of the parks that have a less dense tiger population you have more time and space and you're more likely to see you know some of the antelope that live there or um dole uh asiatic wild dogs and jackal and bird life and things like that Okay, so when when you're with Dragonman, Ellen, do you have like, obviously you have to go to certain places like on the itinerary, but do you have like flexibility? Like, oh, I really like this park. We'll drive up here to go that. What? What? How does it work? Yeah, um, you've got a little bit of flexibility, really. You know, people have bought the trips because they want to see certain highlights, and you really can't miss them. Yeah, <laughs> you can't yeah. be like, oh, the Serengeti. <laughs> you know, we're going to go over here instead. People have yeah. bought trips for certain reasons, so you've really got to tick those off. But you do have flexibility if, like, the weather's horrible. You can be like, you know what? It's raining cats and dogs here. Let's call it early and head over to this next section where the weather isn't going to be as much of a problem. Um, and really, when you've done a trip several times and you get to know it, that's when you really get good at your job yeah. and you can suddenly be like, hey, this isn't on the itinerary, but as a bonus, I know about some really cool oh, you know, prehistoric rock art that's just over here. So we're going to take a one hour detour and we're going to have lunch and have a look at this rock art. And that's when yeah. you really feel like you're, you're nailing it. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, we mentioned food already about India, but what would is is that the dish that would stand out in your mind as the is your most memorable? Uh, that one, and then the opposite. We went to this incredible restaurant in Delhi that was owned by a fashion designer, and it was the complete opposite world. And it was this incredible high end restaurant, and I had lamb and lamb sauce it was like lamb in this minced lamb sauce that just melted in your mouth so yeah both the both sides of of the coin are pretty good in india both the street food and the you know five-star restaurants are brilliant (laughs) class okay so we've had uh zimbabwe colombia and india they're they're your three travel bubble countries ellen they're locked in um what I'm going to ask you now, Ellen, is your for your wild card country, which is a place that you've uh, never been to, but like it's on top of your bucket list and it'll be in your travel bubble destination. Yeah, um, again, this was hard. Uh, so many places I want to go. That you think when you travel, you're going to like have enough, but it just makes things worse. The more <laughs> you travel, the more you're like, my list has now grown. Um, I'm going to go with Papua New Guinea. Okay. Um, Again, I like really wild places and I like places that 
don't seem like everywhere else that are a bit untouched. I like wildlife. I like diving and Papua New Guinea kind of ticks all those boxes. Yeah, it's, it's, it really does, doesn't it? Like there's, there's, there's still undis, untouched, unvisited locations in Papua New Guinea. Like it's probably one of the world's like last wildernesses, wildernesses I suppose. Yeah. Have you been? No, no. I, I'd like to. Um, like you said, yeah. some of the islands, like the best diving in the world as well, off the coast. Absolutely. And there's there's history as well, too. You know, there's some World War II sites that look pretty fascinating yeah. to visit. There's culture. Um, yeah, it seems like well, it's got that, a bit of a... I think the Australians have to do this. Okay, the, 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 the name escapes me, which is bad. But they have to do this, like, trek. And it was, like, over these yep. mount, this mountain range. And you can go and do that in Papua New Guinea. Yeah, um, and retrace these Australian soldiers, and it's a, it was like it's a very harrowing time, and it was just like you said, it was like the toughest, um, one of the toughest like expeditions in any part of the World War Two, um, and that that sounds like a, a really would be like an awesome trek to do. Yeah, it does to me too. Um, as an American growing up, um, shocking, I know, but our view of World War II history was very American and Eurocentric. <laughs> and so I hadn't heard about all these other places that World War II had happened. I didn't know that there was things happening in Africa and North Africa and in the Pacific outside of Japan. And so yeah. when I started reading about Australia's involvement and all that, um, you know, it's just this whole part of history that was new to me. Yeah, it's amazing. And people who listen to this podcast regularly are going to go mad at me now. But I always I always mention this thing. And it's a podcast called by an American guy called Dan Carlin. And mm -hmm. he does these podcasts called Hardcore Histories. And like they're about five hours long each episode. And he's, the, the, the series I'm thinking of in particular right now is called like Supernova in the East. Um, he spends a good three or four hours talking about this australian campaign in in papua new guinea yeah. uh, against the uh, the japanese and it's it it goes so in depth and it's so amazing so interesting i'll say if you're interested i'll send you the link after yeah please do that sounds right up my alley <laughs> but yeah people play like travel bubble bingo and i mentioned that <laughs> somehow it always comes up like every week uh, i might even delete edit that out just because people will be annoyed <laughs> Um, so Ellen, they're your four travel bubble countries and obviously you've got the USA um, in there as well. Um, I, I, I don't normally ask this, but what would be your, like, if someone's going to visit the USA, what would be your, mm. the, the thing that you recommend them to do there? Oh gosh, it's so big and diverse. Um, gosh, go to a national park and go to a big city. So you get yeah. a, a bit of both. Yeah, get, get a taste of both yeah cool well ellen know your four countries are locked in um before you go i wouldn't mind asking you a few, like some generic travel questions if that's all right absolutely what would be your top travel tip for a listener it could be always bring some masking tape or gaffer <laughs> tape or it could be um like be open you know it, it could be from yeah. the practical to the esoteric what would be your top travel tip <laughs> Yeah, um, gosh, and I, I feel like I'm suddenly like a fuddy daddy old person saying this, but put away your phones. Um, and I love my phone and I love being able to connect and I love being able to research, but I think more and more we're obsessed with constantly researching things while we're at the locations and when we're deciding well where should i go out for dinner i'm like oh i'm gonna go into TripAdvisor and find the top 10 restaurants put away your phones ask your taxi driver you know ask the guy on the street who's working in a shop that's how you find the really memorable things okay did, did you find that uh, did you ever get that on your tours of people go oh well i really i have to go to this place in this this city like it's it's meant to be the best place ever i i, I have to do this and like you're like mm. <laughs> yeah feel free but uh i i'd i'd suggest doing this did you get that a lot oh yeah and you know i started doing tours in like 2010 and ended in like 2016 and that was right when all that was really starting to change you know when i started out you couldn't get cell service most places and google maps 
was hadn't been most places and was yeah, wrong yeah. and by the end suddenly that was changing and you know there, there wasn't an instagram in 2010 and by the end people were taking out their phones more and more and we would drive all day over the alto plano the most incredible beautiful remote place and people were most excited to get to the hotel and get onto wi-fi sometimes it, was, it kind of crushed you a little bit yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think about guidebooks? Because um, no matter where you go, especially if you're backpacking or you're like in these hostels or in these places, guidebooks still seem to be a thing. Like people, yeah. are, like, the, the, you can't, it's, you can always have your phone, but having like a physical copy of a book and like just, it seems, that seems to me that'll never go away, the guidebook thing. I, I hope it doesn't. I love guidebooks. Um, I love a good physical map. And that was always the first thing I turned to in a guidebook. Um, I think we're going to see guidebooks leaning away from listing tons of hotels and restaurants. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the Brat guidebooks because yeah. they don't spend as much time doing that. And instead, it's much more history and culture and like, you know, types of foods you should check out and types of animals you should look for. And I think that's kind of the direction books are going to go as more and more people do all their hotel and restaurant recommendations on their phones. Yeah, that, that sounds, that makes sense. Because things change so quickly as well, don't they? And everything's subjective. So I know they, it takes an army to make these books, but like you're, mm-hmm. you're getting a recommendation off, 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 off someone really like for a restaurant in a book, but it could, next time you go there, it could be terrible. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So like you say, the brat guides, you've, it's more about the place rather than the, the 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 things that change, like the hotels and the restaurants. That could be and, terrible. And these guidebooks can also like make and break somebody's business too. And that I, that was always something I struggled with, you know. And like India, if, if a Lonely Planet mentioned a restaurant, suddenly they were set for life. And yeah. the restaurant right next door that might also be good didn't, you know, see that benefit. And that yeah, that's yeah. always an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So top travel tip would be put away your phones. I like it. Um, now, I don't know whether you're materialistic, Ellen, um, but I asked it to everyone. What would be your the number one souvenir you've got from your travels over the years? Yeah, um, in Ethiopia, um, near the Omo Valley region, which is this area where there's lots of people still living very traditionally, we went into this you know, market and it wasn't a market for tourists. It was where, you know, locals could buy supplies and food. And there was a guy carving wooden puppets and um, he had made this incredible puppet that's got joints that move of a uh, hammer. Uh, it was just one of the local tribes of a warrior from that tribe. And I looked at it and I'm like, this is brilliant. It's beautiful. It's handmade. Um, it's no other thing like it. But then what really sold me on it is he kind of giggled and lifted up the skirt because the men in that culture kind of wear sort of sarongs. Yeah. And let's just say it was anatomically correct underneath <laughs> the sarong. I was like, sold. <laughs> so that is a very special space uh, in my home here. Nice. I like it. Did you, did you, like, obviously you're on the road, you're living on a backpack. Did you, did you manage to get many things while you were traveling? No, you had to be really selective because you didn't have a whole lot of room or opportunities to send things back. So, <laughs> in class. Um, so uh, we've got the wild card, we've got the tra- top travel trip, we've got the souvenir. We talk about the the pleasant side and the good side of traveling. Uh, I'm sure this is this will be the case. But have you ever been in any trouble, any danger while you've been on the road? Yeah. Um... You know, nothing horrible. You know, when you're in trouble in most of these places, it's pretty minor. Again, it's a lot of times they're just shaking you down. Um, we tried very hard not to get into those circumstances. Um, you know, there was always interesting things happening with wildlife in Africa when you're camping in these parks and you've just got a bunch of tourists sleeping in tents at night and there are lions coming through and elephants and I had a black mamba chase our uh, jeep in uh, in Zimbabwe one time and that was pretty unnerving. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we we're lucky enough not to get into lots and lots of trouble. Okay, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, especially if you, you've been on the road for so long. <laughs> Um, you said, Ellen, when you when you go to these dinner parties, you don't want to be that person 
who mentions, oh, I used to live in Colombia. I, I was in the Congo this time. But I'm going to ask you this question. Um, have you got one of those dinner party anecdotes that you always tell people, like that you can pull out the bag? Oh, gosh. And, and that's just it. There's kind of so many. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it depends a little one. bit at the, at the topic at hand. Um, I think like my most bizarre travel story was not from when I was with, tra- with Dragoman. Um, one of my hobbies is uh, martial arts. Okay. And I ended up traveling to St. Petersburg, Russia to see my coach. Um, a very famous uh, mixed martial artist and wrestler named Matt Lindland had a fight there against Fedor Yemelianenko, who is this legendary fighter. And um, he was kind enough to get me passes to see his fight. And I ended up seated a few rows behind the security section. We're like, why is this all roped off? And then <laughs> in walks Vladimir Putin. <laughs> and his guest uh, was Jean-Claude Van Damme. Class. And they recognized another friend of mine who I was there, um, Dan Henderson, who is another very famous fighter. And yeah, yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme recognized him and brought like Vladimir Putin over to like meet everyone because he had recognized it. So um, that was one of the more bizarre uh, travel nights of my life. That is so cool. <laughs> Imagine the conversations between Putin and Van Damme. Like, right. like they, obviously, they, they can't have too much in common, really, can they? Like, <laughs> Putin does have a black belt in judo. I mean, you've seen all the shirtless photos of him. Yeah, so yeah. He has, I've got a you couple know, of shirtless a- photos of Putin on my wall right now. Uh, <laughs> fly fishing and uh, horse riding. Absolutely. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so you're quite multifaceted, Ellen. Like, I know you're, you're into your uh, mixed martial arts you built a house, you're a tall leader, and you said you're learning the, the cello in lockdown. Yeah. I, I saw on Instagram the other day that you posted like an early band photo, which looked really cool. <laughs> yeah, um, I actually have a, a music performance uh, bachelor degree, and then I study music history for my master's, so music was my first love, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. which explains why I ended up as a tour leader, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you, it, do you, do you find that, that you you try to master a thing and then you move on to it or do you always do you keep these passions for life I, I try to keep these passions for life and you know music was something I was always seeking out when I was traveling you know again I mentioned like Colombia like every street corner you could find incredible salsa bar and sometimes with live music um, Ethiopia has this thriving jazz scene that you wouldn't you know imagine yeah well I'm a big Mulatu fan um, there you go you know <laughs> I actually went to Mulatu in Liverpool um, mm-hmm. last month he, he out of after lockdown, he managed to get on like a European tour, um, so that that was really really great to see like one of my, my heroes really I suppose. Yeah, mm. Ethiopian music is kind of um, cutting edge right now. Uh, Barack Obama always does his like top ten songs of the year, and he had a Teddy Afro song who is okay. kind of Ethiopian pop guy. He's this icon. He's very political, and I was like, oh, that's pretty oh, cool. <laughs> Well, uh, not Ethiopian, but African um, orchestra Baobab um, mm-hmm. are performing in the UK next year. They're doing a UK tour, so we're going to try and oh, go to a few, a few dates of that. I think so. That's really exciting. I'm really yeah. looking forward to the day that uh, Molly opens up uh, for safe tourism again, because yeah. you know that is really the epicenter of all incredible West African music, and I've mm-hmm. never been. It's been you know off off the list since I started doing all this traveling. Well, I, I have three people on my list to see like, in, in my life. It's um, Mulatu, Orchestra mm-hmm. Baobab, and Jonathan Richmond, the American like. Oh, I've, I've seen him so many times. He's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so like, so I'm going to tick off. Uh, I've ticked off Mulatu, then I'm going to tick off Orchestra Baobab next year. And Jonathan Richmond is always playing in the USA. Like, he does he a date every night, basically. So I'm sure I'll be able to do that one day, hopefully. He, he tends to play these like little intimate uh, clubs too. You know, here's yeah. a, he's a legend. He's been around he really forever, um, and he's very picky about the clubs. Like back when you could smoke inside clubs, he would have not absolutely no smoking, and would really kind of insist on the crowd being kind of quiet and respectful. And then he'll like you know kick into Roadrunner. He's yeah, yeah he's yeah. brilliant live class. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so. Um, Ellen, is there anything else you'd like to say? Is there a message that you'd like to get across before I let you go and enjoy your Christmas Eve? 
Um, you know, just the more you you are able to and, and travel is is a privilege. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, more and more see all the advantages that I was afforded that allowed me to do this, you know, allowed me to do it safely. I've got a family that could support me. Um, I'm white, I'm straight, you know, all these things made it a bit easier for me. And so I, I, I hate it when people are like, oh, everyone can travel. I'm like, no, not everyone can as easily. Um, so I want to acknowledge that privilege. But um, if you are able to just do it, go to every place that you can go to places that you've never thought of traveling before sometimes those are the ones that are going to surprise you the most yeah yeah and so you said you're developing this wing of this um of the earth cruiser company so your tall leading days are not over then ellen no <laughs> they are not over <laughs> and what about matt has he hung up his tall leading boots or he he has not so he's also working for earth cruiser right now so he i'm doing marketing and he's actually building the vehicles so cool. uh <laughs> you're, you're, like, you're a power couple i think <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, we had clients who, you know, passengers who called us Melon. That was our couple name, Matt Melon. <laughs> well, I'd love to speak to Matt at some point as well if he's if if he if he if he'd come on. He's got some fantastic stories because he was doing overlanding in like the early 90s. Yeah. You know, he did lead trips through the Congo. He went to Namibia when it was like just become a country. He's yeah, he's got great stories. Yeah, so like he he, he was beating the beating the path. Um, yeah, yeah. Ask him about going to jail in Mauritania. And <laughs> sounds good. I'm gonna, he's going to have to come on now. Um, well, no, Alan, it's so good talking to you. Um, and thank you for coming on. And, and, and I suppose thank you to Jeannie for, uh, for hooking us up as well. Yeah, she's amazing. Thank you so much. It was really fun. You have been listening to episode 38 of Travel Bubble with me, Matty Dias and my guest today, Ellen Waite. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I thought you were going to. I bet you did. It's a good episode. I think working for Dragoman just seems seems wild. Like six years just living out of the van, living out your backpack. It's just, that is like the true essence of tour leading, I think. And hopefully, like I said in that podcast, we'll get the... Um, the founder of Dragon Man on the podcast at some point. But I think uh, you can find Ellen on uh, Instagram, but she's private, so uh, she might not let you let you in, but <laughs> that's up to her discretion. But you can check out Earth Cruiser uh, on their website. They've got Instagram and they've got website as well, earthcruiser.com. And these vehicles seem absolutely incredible. Like imagine just getting one and just driving and driving and you can do anything and go anywhere, go anywhere in them. And hopefully we'll get the founders of a cruiser on at some point as well. So it just shows you that the connections that you make through the podcast, like Jeannie put me on to Ellen. Ellen's going to put me on to her bosses. And, you know, it's just, it's great that I can find these people all over the world. And they've, there's so many people who've got a good story to tell when it comes to travel and giving us travel inspiration that it's never ending and this podcast could go on for forever and ever and we'd never be short of wonderful guests so thanks to to Ellen for giving up her time and if you are new to the podcast and you've come courtesy of Ellen then do stick around subscribe tell your friends go back and listen to some old episodes read the show notes pick a pick a number give them a listen because all the guests are of high quality and of a high caliber, and you, you, I, I, I dare say that you will learn something with every episode. Hopefully, um, before we go, I'll do a little bit of Travel Bubble Film Club. I've watched loads of films actually recently, uh, but loads of like Hollywood blockbusters that you will know. So, for example, No Time to Die. I finally saw that. Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos like prequel, finally saw that. I watched every single episode of Sopranos again before I watched that, and I absolutely loved it for that reason. Um, June, I think that was one of my cinema highlights of the year, actually. I, I went in with... I don't really like sci-fi films, but it was absolutely fantastic, and I loved it, and I, I keep shouting about it. So do check those out if you're just after a generic, decent film. Um, I also I tried to watch a couple of world films that were pretty 
not so good, I'd say. Like the man who sold his skin. It, that was like an Oscar-nominated foreign film of the year, best foreign language film of the year, and I just didn't really enjoy it. Mixed messages. I, I think it was trying to say one thing, but then it was like, oh, I might try and say this, and I'll say this as well. So I wouldn't watch The Man Who Sold His Skin. Um, but watch it anyway and see what you think. But luckily I watched a film last night, which um, happened to be a foreign film, and it's one that I recommend for this week's Travel Bubble, and it's The Happiest Girl in the World. And I'll just read the synopsis for you. The look of a quiet teenage girl from a poor family takes a dramatic turn for the better when she wins a luxury car. And it's a 2009 Romanian film. And the reason that I've watched it this week is because the director, that Radu, Radu Jude, um, his latest film, uh, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, that's the name of it, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, people are going a bit mad for that at the minute. So I'm looking, I've not seen that yet, but I do want to, but um, I'm trying to work for his back catalogue. And this happiest girl in the world, you've got to think of it like, Romania, it was Ceausescu rule for ages. It was under communist dictatorship. People were queuing up to get food at the shop. And this is all after that. And this girl, basically, she sends in some labels to win a car. She wins a car, but it's not as it's not as good as it seems because, yeah, you just watch it. It is good. And it's available on Mubi, M-U-B-I. If you want to watch it, you can sign up to Mubi through... Um, the links in my bio and my show notes and stuff and you get a free month so it's worth doing if you like world film but yeah go and give that a watch i think i'll be working my way through radu jude's spats catalogue i do love romanian films and not just because well i suppose i love them more because i've led tours there many times and i love i love romania and i just i can just this film i watched last night i just i just really enjoyed it maybe you won't enjoy it as much as me but hopefully you will. So do let me know if you listen to that. And do recommend any films. Um, and one of my friends, uh, Teresa, has recommended a film which I haven't got round to seeing yet. But I will watch that. And if it's good, I will recommend use it as a travel bubble choice. But yeah, thanks for listening this week. Hopefully, fingers crossed, at some point this week I'll be going on an adventure. Um, I'll reveal more probably when I'm back, just in case it doesn't come off. But I'm going on a proper cool adventure, which is something I'm looking forward to. I'm really excited about. I'll be going there on Sunday. So hopefully that does... Uh, not Sunday, Monday, but hopefully that does come off. Um, if you do like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. On Spotify, you can give us a five-star rating. That'll help. And an Apple, you give us a five-star rating. Please do that and tell people about it share it on Facebook, share it on your Instagram I don't know, write a letter to someone, letters are going out of fashion so write a letter to someone about the podcast, that would be interesting um, if you want to give them, give money to me, which I know you probably do, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash travelbubble and you can literally buy me a coffee or buy me a pint uh, the place I'm going to is going to have really expensive pints on my little adventure, so do <laughs> any money you can give to me for a pint that would, that would go down a treat in this place I'm going to but my guest this week has been the wonderful Ellen Waite I've been Matty Dias and you have been listening I'll see you again next week goodbye <laughs>